Today's reading will come out of Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of God. You may be seated. This is the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. It is echoed in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 8 through 10 as well. The second commandment about graven images in the 90s, the pop company Sprite ran a series of commercials. Can you go to that slide for me? Had a series of commercials about how image was nothing, thirst is everything. Um, in, their, in their commercials, they really lifted up the veil on a lot of advertising that goes on about different things that people um, try to make claims about their product um, should be on there. After this, there we go. Uh, image is nothing. Thirst is everything. Obey your thirst. You have, uh, you have these guys who are supposed to be really tough, really rough and tumble guys. As soon as the camera's off of them, they're talking about, what's my motivation? Very sensitive thespians. Or you had this, uh, this kid and his uh, favorite wrestling superstar, Sting, shows up at his house and uh, to wrestle him for his birthday. He's like, let me quickly take a drink of Sprite. And then the professional wrestler proceeds to totally trash him because that is just all an illusion. Drinking Sprite will not give you superpowers, does not make you a rough-and-tumble guy. It just quenches your thirst, and actually, it doesn't even do that. It takes water out of your body. Because that's what images are. They're an illusion. They tell us that they're going to give us more than they ever could give, and they take from us more than we'd ever want to give. John Calvin said, the human heart is an idle factory, turning out idols like the conveyor belt in a manufacturing plant, rolling out new widgets. We think that we are doing good when we are observing the first commandment, but we often fail with the second commandment. Let me tell you today, I am for your joy if you are a believer. If you are a believer today, I want to reveal to you ways that we are violating the second commandment that lead us into slavery that trip us up, that we do not have the joy that we should have because we are failing in the second commandment, even if we are upholding the first commandment. Today, if you are not a believer, my intention is to reveal to you the word of God so that God's law may crush you, so that you may see the amazing love of God as our Savior who saves us from our sin. The second commandment um, is, a, is the commandment that even if we do good with the first, we may fail at the second. And many of us live in so much strife and trouble that we do not have to have if we, follow, if we would follow God in the second commandment. For the commandments are not given as a prerequisite for freedom, but how to live as a free people. As the commandments were given after freedom, not before freedom. So I've adapted Sprite's slogan as images are nothing, relationship with God is everything. It is the second commandment. It is also the most, it is the second most ignored commandment of the Decalogue, which is another word for the Ten Commandments. 
it is largely seen as out of place and irrelevant to life today. After all, I'm assuming many of you do not have statues of Baal in your house. It's like, okay, if I don't have an actual engraven image, I am fine with this. But so many of us, we fail in so many other areas just as people before us. And, we, and this goes to our very detriment and destruction of so much of the joy that we could have in our life. When it comes to the second commandment, it is largely ignored because all of us become like lawyers to try to explain how, well, that doesn't actually mean this. In George Orwell's book, Animal Farm, you can go to the picture that has a pig sleeping in a bed. In George Orwell's book, Animal Farm, there is a, it is a allegory, it's a very forced allegory, in fact, of the Soviet Union. And uh, in the book, you have a lawgiver pig. By the way, all the animals can talk. It's one of those kinds of books. And um, you have a lawgiver pig who gives them seven commandments to live by that every animal is supposed to live by. And one of those commandments is that no animal may sleep in a bed. So the pigs who actually rule the roost after they kick out the farmer and after the lawgiver pig dies decide, no, those beds look very comfortable and we want to we sleep in those beds. So in the dead of night... They take a little brush and they add the words with sheets to the law that had been given before. So now it reads, no animal may sleep in a bed with sheets. So as all the animals are thinking, hey, why are all the pigs sleeping in beds? They point to the law and they say, it's about, the law is about sheets. So today with the second commandment, many of us, we break the second commandment. And we add little words to it to try to make ourselves feel better. Well, no, it's only if we are literally bowing down to it. But there are other things in our life. The prohibition of making engraved images that so many churches, they sound very much like Napoleon, the pig from uh, Animal Farm, who tells the people, no, it's about the sheets. It's not about sleeping in the bed. And this does not go the way we wish it to go. It actually, it prevents us from having the freedom and joy that God wants for us. Why don't we need idols? That's what this comes down to. The second commandment is about no idols, no engraved images, nothing, no, no, no assisting us in our worship by visualizing God. Why don't we need an idol? Well, it goes to the reason why pagans needed an idol. They believed their gods and goddesses inhabited that piece of wood, that piece of bronze, that piece of metal, or that they invested the object with power for their worship. That there's an aspect of the divinity present in the object itself. Therefore, idols were very important in their worship. But for the Jews and for us, we don't need an idol for that very reason, because our God is not in a block of wood. Our God is not in the cross itself, where does our God make his home? Now, in one sense, God is everywhere. Where can I go from his presence? God says in Isaiah, heaven is my home and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will be my resting place? This question of God is answered in Jesus Christ, for you shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. I don't need an item to worship God. I can worship God because he is here. He dwells within me for I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is the underpinning of why idol worship is so wrong. It's to look at God and say, no, you're here when he has decided he to make you his home. 
Where does God live? In one sense, he lives everywhere. In another sense, he has made his home in our very hearts. You don't need to bow down to an image because he is here. You can't see him, but he is here. The image versus the reality. Um, one, thing, um, one thing this past couple of years has made so abundantly clear, it's this. That there is no substitute to being really, actually present. Zoom church isn't church. FaceTime isn't FaceTime. Communicating through text isn't real communication in its fullness. I mean, I think about this, um, maybe I'm really too much about myself, but I've got a quest, and I go, on, I go online with that, and my brother has one too, and we meet each other in virtual reality, and it's fun, and it's kind of cool. But we just saw each other a few weeks ago, and we talked about how that doesn't compare to actually being face-to-face with you. It's just the shadow, and I couldn't live with the shadow. I have to live in the reality. When Becca and I were first married, we were going through some pictures, and um, I saw one picture, and I thought Becca looked very fetching in it, so I was doting over it. And Becca was kind of getting offended because she's right here. Why am I giving my affection to a picture when she's right here? That is how God feels about engraved images. Why are you giving your affection towards the image when he is right here, when no image can do him justice? Every image demeans him because it is not him. During courtship, we make an idol out of the person that we are courting, we are dating. What I mean to say, and this happens with everybody and every person's like, no, I'm going into this with my eyes wide open. I'm rational. But you know what we do? We start dating somebody and we make a fictitious image of our he- in our head of that person. We find this out once we get married, how different the fiction is from the reality. You know, when we're dating, they do, they, they do something. We're like, it's so quirky. It's so funny. You know, she really calls me on my stuff. And then we get married and we're like, that nag? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, he, he's just a very serious guy. And it's like, you know something? And you get married and you're like, he doesn't spend any time with me. It's like, it was always there, but I couldn't see it because I had made this. You know what happens? We get married and all of a sudden, the idol we've made shatters. And reality forces us to deal with this real thing. Do we love the image we've made or the actual person? So much of idolatry that happens within the church is we make an image of God in our mind, and then the Holy Spirit, through the scriptures, shows us how different those two things are. And we can either decide to continue cheating with the fictitious bridegroom or decide to love the true bridegroom. We can be good with one, but fail in the second. There's a king in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 10. You read about him. His name is Jehu. And he excelled on the surface with the first commandment, but utterly failed at the second. In 2 Kings chapter 10, we hear about Jehu. He was prophesied by Elijah as the person who would rip down Ahab and his Ahab's family. Now, he doesn't kill Ahab. That was a stray arrow that kills Ahab. But he has Jezebel killed. He has her thrown out of a high place, and the dogs dogs lick up her blood. Sorry for those of you who are younger, but if you're in big person church, I don't don't censor. Um, He then goes around and kills all of Ahab's family. In fact, there's an envoy of the king of Judah's family who go to hang out with Ahab's family, and he has them killed too. He is 
passionate about no idol worship in Israel. Not no idol worship, sorry. No Baal worship in Israel. And in chapter 10, he has this great scheme in which he invites all the idol worshipers, all the, sorry, not idol worshipers, all the Baal worshipers to come to the same place. And he says, you know, Ahab, he really liked Baal, but I love Baal. Come to my party. Everybody gets to this party and he tells them, hey, I've got party clothes for everybody. Make sure you wear these clothes. And he tells his men in the other room, everybody wearing the clothes, go ahead and kill. He then takes the pillar out of the house of Baal. He has it burned. And then he uses, for the rest of his, uh, rest of his kingship, he, they used the house of Baal as an outhouse. And I didn't read it today because even as I read it this week, I laughed just hysterically out loud because I was like, whoa, there, there's going far. There's going really far. On the surface, he seems so zealous. In fact, almost fanatical about purging Baal worship from his nation. But then we get to chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. Then Jehu wiped out Baal, wiped out Baal from Israel. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebath, which he made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. When the kingdom divided, the northern king, the first northern king, name was Je- his name was Jeroboam, and he had two calves made. And he told the people, these are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. The same exact words Aaron said when he made the golden calf. He makes two calves. And the people worshipped after them. Jehu, who's so fanatical about one thing, will not touch the other thing. These two calves were engraved images of supposed to be Yahweh. Really, it was a Canaanite god that they mixed with Yahweh. You can worship the right god the wrong way, and it's still idolatry. For the, other, for the other commandments, mostly we are going to be going over one example in the scriptures concerning that commandment. Today is going to be a little bit different. In this one, I'm going to go over multiple examples of multiple different ways we violate the second commandment. And once again, this leads to our enslavement towards sin, a self-imposed enslavement, because we cannot be enslaved when we've already been set free. But we can still live like a slave even though we are free. But for this one, I'm going to go over different ones. So this might be a message that on Tuesday when it gets posted to YouTube, you want to go back over. Because I'm going to be going over quite a lot of things, very important things. But here's the thing. As we go through this commandment over these, uh, over these few verses, we can see about worshiping the right God the wrong way. The second one, to worship the wrong God, there is no right way. And three, the truth about why God is jealous. Let's get into this. The right God, the wrong way. The first example I have of this in the scripture I want to bring to your attention is Gideon's ephod. Gideon's ephod. Judges chapter 8, verse 27. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city, in Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. When I was in college, I went to, um, I, I had a class on Old Testament survey. And we were going over the judges, and in the book, they separated the judges between good judges and bad judges. And I was super surprised because Gideon was one of the wicked judges. I'm like, Gideon? 
No, original 300. You know, he, he laid out the fleece. Everything went good. How is he one of the wicked judges? And I was about to correct my professor. And luckily, the Holy Spirit didn't let me be a fool and let me, had me read it again. And I got to this point, and I'm like, yeah, leading the people of Israel into idol worship is pretty bad. It's about as bad as you can get. The ephod, what is an ephod? An ephod was a, was a um, priestly garment worn and ordained by God for the worship in the temple. Let me say that again. An ephod was an object to be used in the correct worship of Yahweh, and that becomes an idol. Because here is really the sad thing, is that sometimes we worship worship. Let me say that again. Sometimes we worship worship. Here is one way we fail according, um, in regard to the second commandment. We worship worship. You know what this looked like in the Middle Ages was relic worship. You could, buy, you could buy the foot of the rooster that crowed when Peter denied Christ. And there was probably a couple hundred of these. So I don't know how many roosters they thought were on that day. But they thought, if I, had th- if I have this paw right here, or whatever they call the foot of a rooster, then God is going to bless me. And they would use that in their worship. Or you could buy pieces of the um, true cross, which I'm sure if you, if you put them all together, you could probably make an ark out of it. Obviously, it's not the true cross. Relic worship was huge in the Middle Ages. You could, um, once again, you could buy the foot of the rooster that, that, that crowed when Peter denied Christ or some fragment of the true cross. Today, this is the person who travels all around the country chasing revivals, but shows up late to their own church if they show up at all. It's the person who makes excuses for their favorite preacher or Christian entertainer when they say something completely off-base about God not found in the scriptures. There's so much I could talk about in here of how we worship worship, but I want to point out one thing, is that we we have a tendency in the church today across this nation and across the world is to worship the music of the Lord instead of the Lord of the music. I want to single out this one area, and it's going to be a rough one. It's worship music. If you can live in sin but love worship music... That's a great sign that you are just simply going after the experience, the emotional experience of singing, of being devoted, but not actually being devoted to the Lord. People who attend Christian concerts, spend big money on merch, but rarely attend an actual church. This is evidence of Gideon's ephod coming back into the church and people whoring after it. This is why you see so many of these early, these 90s and 2000 Christian artists become atheists today. Because as people were at their concerts raising their hand, they were not careful to bring that glory back to the Lord, but they accepted it for themselves. And when they became out of favor, they couldn't let it go because it wasn't about giving glory to the Lord. Second example in a different area of this idol worship in the church where we can serve the right God, but the wrong way that turns our hearts away from him this is about the serpent in 2 Kings 18.4. He, speaking of the king Hezekiah of Judah, removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It is called 
Nahashatan. What is this serpent? And why did Moses make this serpent? The king of Judah desperately wanted his nation to repent and turn back to God, so he removes all idols, even idols people refers to, including the serpent. One of these idols is the serpent Moses had made. The story of the serpent goes back to the book of Numbers, when the people were once again being disobedient to the Lord, and the Lord had serpent snakes bite them. As they were dying from the venom, he instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent, to hang it on a pole, and to lift it up, and all who would look upon the serpent would be saved from the snake's venom. This was a type and shadow of Jesus Christ, who one day would be risen on a tree, and all who look upon him would be saved. Jesus himself makes that statement, that he is the bronze serpent. So this thing's so good. It is a symbol of the salvation of our Lord, and they turn it into an idol. This is something very good, and it was twisted into an idol. From this, we already talked about Gideon's ephod, Simon the sorcerer, Ananias and Sapphira, we have this very plain truth, is that we worship spirituality. We worship spirituality to be seen as the holy person amongst other people. We worship that to the detriment and, in fact, the damnation of our own souls. That we could make a symbol of God's salvation into an idol itself shows, shows that we have a tendency of worshiping spirituality. How many people will say, well, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual? I remember getting my hair cut by this uh, beautician, and she was telling me about how much she didn't like churches because she knew I was in college to be a minister, and how, um, you know, they're just all money-grubbing, they're always asking for a handout, and, um, and all that, and she's like, I go up to the mountains to worship. We just read about in Hosea today, by the way, right? People are like, you, you go to the mountains, you go under this because it makes you feel happy, um, instead of actually worshiping God. So I get done with my haircut, and... Um, uh, I pay her, and at this time, I'm a college student, so I didn't know that you're supposed to tip um, beauticians. I do it all the time now, by the way. I didn't know at that time, so she's like putting out her hand, and I almost wanted to say, wait, you want to be paid for service that you offer? How dare you? I thought it was for the joy of cutting hair. Um, we worship spirituality. It's why we see so much counterfeit spirituality everywhere. We are a nation that is deeply spiritual, but is absolutely not about following the Lord our God. We miss, the, we miss the forest for the trees. It's our tendency to miss the forest for the trees. This is every, everything in all creation is meant for one purpose, and that is to connect us to God. But everything in all of creation is used by our own heart to make an idol out of. You focus on the things, it's when we focus on the things and on the power, and we can make an idol out of the miracle instead of the one who gives the miracle. We can worship the power of God instead of the God of power. Unfortunately, so many churches, this is the thing, they seek the supernatural, not the one who is the supernatural. My third example of this is the place of worship as well. In John chapter 4, verses 21 through 23, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, 
for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship. This comes from Jesus' meeting with the woman at the well. Jesus meets with her and he identifies her greatest need is that she needs living water. He tells her about the sin in her life. He tells her everything in her life. And that's what she tells other people. Come meet this man who told me everything about me. And as Jesus confronts her, she wants to have a theological discussion about where to worship. And as a pastor, I get this a lot. The Holy Spirit will lead me towards the real issue somebody has. And now they want to talk about, well, what about what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention? I don't care. Where are you with Jesus? Oh, you know, you say that we're supposed to do this or, you know, the first initial physical evidence is speaking in tongues, but I feel this way. And I'm like, no, your problem is the sin in your life. Are you going to be obedient or not? And we then make an idol even in the place of worship. You know, one of the things in God's mercy is he allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be lost after the exile. I certainly believe people would have put that up as another idol And here's the thing about it. So you have a physical thing that was supposed to be in the Holy of Holies. And what did it have inside of it? It had Aaron's staff that had budded. It had a jar of manna. And it had the Ten Commandments, God's law. Jesus tells her that true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. There was a movement, it's still going on, called the seeker-sensitive movement in which churches will do everything they can just to get people in the doors. They will raffle off cars or whatever just to get people into the door to make it seeker-sensitive. But here's the thing. Any worship that is not predicated on truth and is in spirit, which means sacrifice, Romans 12, 1, is not true worship. It is just an idol to amaze the people with. So this is my first, and it is the longest point of this, because this is something I believe that continually creeps on the church. But I want to end this with just three questions to answer for you when it comes to idol worship in the church. When does, and you can fill in the blank here, an artistic representation of Jesus or God the Father or whatever, a cross, crucifix, some religious iconography, when does it become an idol? That's a big question people have. Like, what what should we have in our church? You probably noticed right here in our church today, we don't have any pictures of Jesus or God, um, so on and so forth. Um, When does something like that become an idol? Because I don't think every representation of Jesus is an idol in people's life. But when does it become an idol? And I would say this. When we believe it is invested with power, when we believe we need it for worship, or if we need it to do something that God does for us in our life. When I was working at the treatment facility, one of the boys who was very in touch with the Native American religion had this bull skull, and he couldn't sleep without the bull skull in his room. If you cannot sleep without like a a crucifix, cross, rosary, or whatever in your room, that might be a good suggestion. It has now become an idol. It's worshiping the right God the wrong way. Because where is God? God's inside of me. I don't need an idol. I don't need a representation to worship God. When does it become an idol? When we believe it's been invested with power. That's what the pagans believe, not what we believe. 
God has put his power in us as jars of clay, not in things of stone, not in things of wood. So you see those old, you see those old movies of vampires and they bring out the crucifix and they're like, ah, that's an idol, my friends. Instead of a relationship with God, we, we put it into, a, into an object. Can someone, break the ten, can someone break this commandment without a physical representation of God? Meaning, okay, I don't have any of that stuff in my, in my house. Am I, can I still break this commandment? Yes, and that's the way most people break it. Because we make an image of God in our minds. We make an image of Christ in our minds. And this image of Christ, you know what's crazy? It thinks everything I like is good. And it thinks everything I don't like is a sin. It's great. It's an image. And here's the problem. We make an image of God in our mind. We start breathing life into it and start speaking. Not according to God's word, but according to our word. And we find our little proof text to justify what we believe it is saying. So can a person break the second commandment without a physical representation of God? Absolutely, it's the way most people do. This is, this is epitomized when somebody says, my God would never, dot, dot, dot. Well, yeah, your God wouldn't. He's not the true God of the universe. My God would never, or I like to think of God simply as, dot, 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 and what they mean is just as, or God is love. And we don't define love by the way God defined love. We define love by the way we define love. That is an idol in our minds. Third, so then here's the question. How can you pray to God without having a picture of God in your mind? This is something, once again, I, I warned you last week, this is going to be a rougher one because I'm going to reveal sins that we, that we enthusiastically go after. And here's one. Stop visualizing Christ in your mind when you pray. The temptation to make him say what you want him to say is too great. And we don't need to. He's here. I don't have to have an image. When I talk with you, I don't think of you. I mean, I don't, I don't have this image of you in my head. I don't like dress it up with stuff or whatever. I'm talking with you. Now, of course, our God is unseen. He, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the only image of God. And he's in heaven. His physical body's in heaven. So we have to train ourselves because we love God so much, because we love Christ so much, that I will not try to put anything on him, but truly worship him in spirit and in truth. Let me go to my second point in with the scripture here in Exodus. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of, um, of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God and a jealous God. So here's the thing. You cannot worship the wrong God the right way. You cannot worship the wrong God the, the right way. I say, in this, I say, the wrong God, no way. Acts chapter 17, verses 29 and 30. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere to repent. Paul the Apostle is in the Greek city-state of Athens. Athens is very religious. It is the center of culture in the time that Paul lived in. And he goes into this place, and there's so many idols of worship, and right here you have a representation of the one idol he sees, and it says, as inscription on here, to the unknown God. So he gathers the people together. He says, I know the name of your unknown God. 
His name is Jesus. And in times past, in times of ignorance, he overlooked, but now he commands everywhere, people everywhere to repent. So here's the thing. There are no anonymous Christians. A person who serves Buddha faithfully, honestly, is no different from the person who breaks all the Ten Commandments for salvation is of the Lord. He commands people everywhere to repent. There's this idea that a person who is true to their faith will be saved by God. That while, that while Jesus is the only way to the Father, there are many ways towards Jesus. Paul the Apostle shatters this demonic idea. It's called the anonymous Christian. It was invented or coined by the Jesuit theologian Karl Rayner. Paul, speaking by the Spirit, says that in times past God overlooked the ignorance, but now he commands people everywhere to repent because there is no other way. There is only one way to the Son, to the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and that is faith, faith in God, not in idols. To hold to any other thing is a great disservice and a thing that hurts, that doesn't help. In this section right here, our own heart is the greatest idol of all. Our own heart is another God. You make an image of God and God's work in your own image and breathe life into it, and thus says the Lord. Bodhi Bachman said this, The Lord told me is no substitute for the Bible sets. To hammer this home, Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 2 through 7. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and saying to those who prophesy, from their own hearts. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up the wall for the house of Israel that it might, sta might stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord when the Lord has not sent them, and yet they expect him to fulfill their words. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination when you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken? This scripture is so clear that I felt like I didn't even need to give commentary, but let me do it anyway. There are so many people who are angry with God because he has not fulfilled promises they believe he's made, but he's never made. And woe to the person who makes those promises and says, thus says the Lord. When somebody says your child will not die and your child dies, they are a lying prophet and you need to stop listening to them. When somebody says, this is going to happen, it doesn't happen, stop listening to them. They are prophesying of their own spirit, and it is just as bad as demonic prophecy, and they train others to do the same thing. This is probably one of the greatest idols in churches like ours who believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe God heals today. We believe in the gifts of prophecy, and unfortunately, some have come in unaware and they make an idol out of the gifts of God, and they tell us to seek after the gift instead of the giver. 
So many Christians live in so much bondage and they believe God doesn't love me because he hasn't healed me, but God never made that promise. There are people who say, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken. And during COVID, there were prophets at Bethel Church who made proclamations that did not happen. And they are the biggest purveyors of idols in the church today. And it's long past time pastors had the guts to say something for our people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. May God never say of me because you didn't tell them. Let's go on. Our last part of this commandment is that God is a jealous God, for I am a jealous I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to a thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. Before I talk about God being a jealous God, we see this echoed in the words of Christ who said, if you love me, you will do what I command. And people who want to divorce the people of God from God's law are teaching them to not love God. This is why Oprah abandoned biblical Christianity. Oprah Winfrey tells a story of being at a church and the pastor is talking about God, about God being all-powerful, amen. Everywhere at once, amen. All-loving, amen. He is a jealous God, and she was like, wait a minute. Jealousy is wrong. How can God be jealous? But this is right here at the beginning, that God is a jealous God. The rest of the commandment is what caused Oprah, and many others who abandon God's word for their own word. It's okay for God to be loving. It's okay for him to be all-powerful. It's okay for him to be everything I want him to be, but don't let him be exclusive for me. In the book of Hosea, which I touched on a bit last week, what we've been going over on Sunday mornings, God makes this so painfully clear that when people serve other gods, other engraven images, even images of the true God, it is like like idolatry. It is just as painful for God as when a wife or husband steps out on their wife or husband. He is jealous like a husband is jealous for a wife that has strayed. It is a godly jealousy, the kind of jealousy that Paul will say he and the other apostles have for the people they preach to because they were like a friend introducing the bride to the bridegroom and now the bride has strayed away. Christopher J.H. Wright puts it like this. Divine jealousy is, in fact, an essential function of divine love. It is precisely because our God wills our good that that he hates the self-inflicted harm that our idolatry generates. God's conflict with with the gods is ultimately for our good as well for God's glory. This further highlights why idolatry is such a primary sin in the Bible. Identified as such by the primacy of the first two command, commandments of the Decalogue. It is no, it is not, it's not merely that idolatry steals God's glory, but it also thwarts God's love. The love that seeks the highest good of all of God's creation. Idolatry therefore contradicts the very essence, the goodness of God, for God is love. God is love, therefore God is jealous because he truly is the greatest thing in all of everything. And to allow you to worship anything else is to, 
is to put on you a curse. Because God loves you, because idolatry, that's what's so bad about it. It keeps you from the love of God and living the abundant life God wants you to live. Worship team, would you come up at this point? I don't know what you were thinking, but I know as I was beginning studying on the commandments of God years and years ago, I didn't think to be hammered so hard by commandment number two. I thought commandment number two would say, I don't got anything like that in my house, I'm fine. And then God started dealing with me about so many things. One of those things was visualizing God when I prayed. And there were so many other things too about pastors that I admired and then they would say something stupid and I would defend them and say, well, they really mean this or if you look at it through this point of view, it's God in my life and it needed to be shattered to pieces. We can worship the right God the wrong way. If we think worshiping the wrong God, there is no right way. And finally, our God is a jealous God. He wants exclusive rights to your heart. So my challenge for you today as we end in our last song and then we'll be taking communion after that. Isn't that a wonderful thing? There's two, God, there's two things that Jesus Christ wanted us to do. And we might see them as ceremonies or whatever, but you know what they are? It's a meal together and then it's a physical representation of being brought from dead to life baptism. So we are going to join in the Lord's suffer today as a family, as a family of Christ today. But this is the thing I want to challenge you with, is to ask the Holy Spirit to seek you, to search you, to see if there's any unclean thing, if there's any idol in your life that needs to be shattered, because the greatest idol in our life that needs to be shattered is not spelt B-A-A-L, it is spelt M-E. It's when my opinions, my desires, my thoughts, they need to be shattered so that my thoughts, my desires... And his decrees are my joy and my freedom from the bondage of the lies of the enemy. Would you please stand as we begin our last song? We will then go into communion.